Kobe Bryant. And welcome back to the Counted Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Ahan Adahan Rungta on Twitter. Today we have episode 12, and we have with us pitcher in the Kansas City Royals organization, Alex Katz. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for being here. Uh, I know you're in New York. Uh, we were just talking about um, how the situation in New York is not great, especially in your county. So first and foremost, most importantly, how's the quarantine going for you? Um, are you living with other people and how are they doing? Um, how's that, what's that been like? Yeah, it, it's been all right over here. Um, I'm with family on Long Island and, you know, trying to stay home as much as possible, really only leaving the house to, um, you know, get groceries or, um, or run or, or throw throughout the local high school um, football field. And do you have a throwing partner? How's the, how's the pitching shape going? Yeah, I have, um, I have a target and a net in the backyard. So I, I throw a little bit back there, but um, one of my, um, one of my neighbor's grandsons plays college baseball and he's a catcher. So it works out perfect. Um, we're able to socially distance and throw, you know, yep. we start off our, our catch play at like 15 feet. So, you know, we're definitely, spread it spread out enough at a safe distance yeah having a catcher sounds kind of convenient yeah definitely definitely there's not many uh you know there's not an influx of catchers these days and uh, you know especially catchers who could who could catch someone throwing decently hard now i want to talk a little bit about uh your baseball career starting at the beginning uh in college you won the big east 2015 st john's red storm so i want to talk a little bit about that uh what that was like is not many people can say they they won the conference uh, in college. So uh, what was that like? Uh, do you still stay in contact with your college teammates? Uh, do you go visit? Yeah, yeah. St. John's was was an awesome experience for me academically and from a baseball perspective. Um, the campus is fairly close to me, so I try to get on campus as much as possible, watch the guys practice, go to some fall exhibition games, um, you know, work out there sometimes. So I stay in touch with most of the guys that I played with, you know, a few years ago and current players as well as the coaching staff. Um, you know, as far as that year in 2015, we had a, we had a really good good team that year and a gr great group of guys. Um, I think we had six or seven guys drafted that year. Um, one RA made to the big leagues. So, you know, that just shows the amount of talent that we had. Um, well, obviously that was just that one year that those guys got drafted. You know, total there were probably 15 guys from that team that, you know, currently or, or you know, or formerly played professional baseball, um, and obviously we won the regular season and the conference for the Big East. Um, we we're one game away from going to the Super Regionals. We um, we lost to Arkansas. I actually pitched that game. It was it was a pitcher's duel going into the fifth or sixth inning. Um, it was a scoreless game and. Um, you know, I pitch against Andrew Benintendi. He was actually the last batter I, I pitch against in my college career. That, that That's a good one uh, to pitch against as a Red Sox fan, I can tell you. It's a good talent to pitch against. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. He was um, – I think I took his batting average under 400 that game. Awesome. That, that That's an accomplishment pretty, right there. Yeah, pretty crazy. I mean, 400, you know, in, after the regular season because your stats transfer over into the playoffs with – in college so 
but you know that that shows through 60 games he was hitting that his batting average was that high which is pretty pretty surreal and you did get drafted as well that year 2015 draft and uh, I know it was during the later rounds but uh, what was the experience of getting drafted like and sort of did you know sort of going in um, approximately where you were going to get drafted how early did you know who wanted to take you stuff like that yeah, honestly, it was a frustrating and an exciting day for me, obviously, to hear 803 or 804 names called ahead of you, and you're listening to every single one, you know, just imagine being in that position. Um, but I definitely, I definitely expected to be drafted higher just from, you know, the year I had and the way I finished off and, you know, just talking to teams. So I'm, I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but you know, just grateful for, for being drafted by the White Sox and, and getting my foot, you know, in the, in the door. Cause obviously, you know, I'm still playing, chasing the dream. So it, um, you know, my, my career wouldn't be the same if I didn't get drafted. It, it's definitely, um, you know, much more difficult to, to be an undrafted free agent. Yeah. And I want to go on a slight tangent cause you said chasing the dream and that's part of your Twitter bio. And I noticed your Instagram and Twitter handles are Kitty Elgato. Is there a story behind that uh, that you can tell us, or why did you pick that name? Yeah, honestly, nothing crazy. Um, I was in the AZL when I first signed with the White Sox, and I was just playing around with um, different usernames. And um, some, of my, some of my teammates, friends who um, are from Dominican Republic, called me Gato because that means cat in Spanish. And right. Some of my uh, American teammates called me Kitty. So I just, you know, number 12 is my favorite number. So I was just playing around. Probably changed my Instagram na handle 10 times that week. And then uh, that one stuck. And then I ended up getting verified. And, and I heard that, um, you know, once you're verified, you can't change your handle. Otherwise, you lose the check mark. So I just, I just kept it since and, and stuck with it. Fair enough. Definitely a memorable one. Now, uh, going through more of your baseball career, um, you pitched as part of Team Israel uh, in the World Baseball Classic in 2017. You're a dual citizen now. So what's the experience like uh, pitching for the, the country as well, or pitching for the team, as well as your experience pitching against other countries? Um, what was the entire experience of the World Baseball Classic like, and how is that sort of different from the other places you pitched in the minors uh, and in college? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, Definitely in my career so far, it's, it's at the top as far as experiences. Um, we, ha we had big leaguers on our team who played, you know, 5, 10, 15 years in the big leagues, and they said the same thing. You know, and those guys are, you know, at the highest level playing in front of 50,000 fans on a regular basis. So, you know, that, that just goes to show you how, you know, how awesome, how amazing of an experience the World Baseball Classic was and um, obviously hope to play in it next year. Um, so at that point in 2017, when I played for Team Israel, the highest I, you know, I was playing, I finished that year at low, uh, high A in Winston-Salem, mostly in low A that year. Uh, I think I was in high A for the last month of the season. So, you know, those ballparks aren't, aren't huge in the Carolina League. You know, at home, I think we had a few, um, you know, maybe close to a sellout, but even a sellout in those leagues, three, three to 5,000 fans maybe. And then, um, you know, in the World Baseball Classic against the host country, Korea, and the host country, Japan, there were 30,000 and around 50,000 fans. 
that I was uh, that I was playing in front of. So, you know, there's a big difference right there. I've never had that amount of adrenaline pitching in my life. It, it was it was pretty intense. And speaking of fans, how big is uh, baseball and the WBC uh, for the fans of Israel? Like how how big is it in Israel? And do the fans show up to games? Uh, do they show up to the WBC? It's um. It's pretty small right now, but that's obviously one of our one of our main goals is to spread the growth of the game in Israel. Um, I visited the country twice, once this offseason and once last offseason, and there's really only one legitimate field in the whole country. And obviously the country is not too big. It's about the size of, you know, the state of New Jersey. But, you know, living in New York, growing up in New York my whole life, um, there's probably five baseball fields within a five block radius here. So, you know, that just, that just shows you how, you know, how baseball is still super, super small in that country. Um, obviously with some fundraising and um, some of the WBC prize money there, there, there's, there's works. They're in the works of creating a new baseball complex over there. And, you know, they say, if you build it, they will come. So, um, you know, I think it starts with having the facilities and obviously having more awareness to the game. And, and the weather is really good in that country. So I think, um, I think there's potential to, you know, for baseball to be a powerhouse in that country one day. Um, you know, it might take a while. But um, at, to answer the second part of your question, um, there, were, there were some fans that traveled well. Um, but I would say in, you know, Korea and Japan, the two countries that we played in, it was mostly um, – you know, fans from those specific countries. It is a, it is a long yeah. travel too. Yeah. It's a long travel. It's expensive, but you know, the, the fans, the fans in Korea and Japan absolutely love baseball. So those right. fans from those countries were filling up the stadiums. Yep. And uh, now fast forwarding all the way to now you're in the Royals organization and you're in the minors. And I want to talk a little bit about um, the quarantine and the effect that coronavirus has had on minor leaguers, and we already know that it's hard for minor leaguers um, to make money. Um, but sort of, I'm correct in saying that minor leaguers aren't receiving paychecks, right? N none of you are receiving paychecks. No, we. Um, it's kind of surprising, but I'm getting paid more now than I would be during the season. Uh, okay, interesting. So yeah, I, I just want to talk a little bit about um, how that's been and. Uh, what sort of the vibe is around um, your minor league teammates maybe, or just in general with baseball, um, considering um, the gap we have in baseball right now that ends, we don't know when. Yes. Yeah, so um, it's a standard pay for, for every minor leaguer, um, which is good for some bad for others. Um, you know, at the end of the day, everybody wants to play and I'd rather make less money and, I play at this point right now. I think I'm getting like $50 more a week with this stipend compared to my normal salary, but I would gladly give up that $50 of play. You know, everyone wants to get out there and play at this point. Um, but, you know, with this stipend or, you know, this salary advance or whatever it's called that we're getting right now, it's definitely negatively affecting some players because some players through free agency are, you know, are making ten, fifteen, twenty-five thousand dollars a month, and um, you know, with this, they're getting four hundred dollars a week. So that's a big difference. And you know, some of these are old, some of these players are older guys with families, and they have to obviously support their families. So um, I think every there's 
you know, there's a, a few thousand minor leaguers out there throughout the country and the rest of the world. So I think everyone has a different story and everyone's in a different situation right now. Yeah, speaking of different stories, um, it's been going around Twitter how different teams are offering different uh, monetary compensations to their minor leaguers. And there was one tweet about how the Rays were going to offer $800 to everybody. And then some people were saying, that's clearly not enough. That's not going to fix the issues. But then some players were like, that actually helps a lot. So how real is that, that something as quote unquote minor looking to us can be that useful for somebody? Yeah. I mean, like I said, everyone's in a different situation. Everyone, every player is at a different scale, you know, or different level in the system. There's a big difference between, you know, the GCL or the AZL, the rookie ball leagues and, you know, guys at the triple A level. So it's definitely affect, you know, affecting everyone in a a different, um, you know, a different way. There's a big difference between a, a 16 year old international player who just signed and, you know, a 32-year-old player with, you know, married and five kids who's been playing for, you know, 12, 13 years already. Um, You know, so it's really a case-by-case situation. Um, You know, some people have it harder than others. And when baseball season does start, it could be this year, it could be next. Just sort of what what are some of your thoughts from a player's standpoint about how MLB should deal with, uh, when they should start the season. Like, obviously, we don't necessarily know when, quote-unquote, it's going to be safe to play with or without fans. But I've seen players split on this as well. Some p- players are saying, if we start baseball early, maybe that'll give an incentive for everybody else to start earlier as well, and that's good for the game. While other people are saying, we have families, players are not magically immune, so we should start as late as possible. So what are your thoughts from a player's standpoint about MLB's proposals to maybe start much earlier than we anticipated? Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely want to play, but there obviously have to be a lot of considerations when it comes to that. It has to be safe for, for not just the players, for everyone involved. Um, I think there's a way for the season to continue in a safe manner as long as there's continuous testing and isolation. You know, if the players are just going from the ballpark to the hotel and are getting tested every day or once a week or, you know, or whatever it takes, whatever is is accessible, I think think that's definitely safe. I think the scary part, even with isolation, is what happens if one person doesn't follow the rules or someone somehow gets infected. I don't know, maybe, you know, from food delivery, they, they touch the same paper, the same plastic bag or, you know, something. You know, it's uh, a virus can be spread in, you know, probably many different ways. So, you know, the scary part is if one player gets, you know, gets infected, now what? You know, now you're infecting the whole team so that whole team can't play. Then everyone has to be quarantined for two weeks. Right. But I think that's, I think that's what the main problem is right now. Um, You know, I, I assume with the network that MLB has, there's no problem with getting testing and stuff like that. Um, by the same time, how does that affect the minor leagues? You know, we're ta- everyone's talking about the major leagues, but there's 120, 160 minor league players out there. You can't have those, can't have that, you know, that many guys in the same clubhouse at one time. And, um, you know, there's 30 major league teams in 30 different cities. 
there's a hundred and what, 150, 160 minor league affiliates, right. you know, all in different cities. So that's, there's definitely a lot of logistics involved. I could see the major league baseball season coming back sooner than the minor league season. Okay, cool. And uh, I want to talk a little bit now about the fun stuff. So uh, you started a company named Stadium Custom Kicks. You're a big sneakerhead, and your company customizes baseball cleats, uh, does art on baseball cleats, and you have clients across the minors and majors, including Aaron Judge, Bramson Cano, Jose Altuve, the list goes on. Uh, so how did you start uh, the company? What's the inspiration behind it? Um, and how do you innovate uh, via cleats um, in your company? Yeah, so I, when I played for Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic in 2017, I wanted to get some cool-looking cleats for myself because, you know, being a, a low-level minor leaguer, I've never played that many, in front of that many fans before and, you know, in such a big tournament on TV across the world. So I thought it would be cool to have some, you know, some cleats that match my uniform. So, um, you know, I met up with a friend at his house and, you know, ordered some silver, gray, and, and royal blue paint. And we painted them together and they came out nice. So, um, you know, I, I got the idea of posting them on Instagram and, um, you know, realized that a lot of friends and teammates will want to order the same thing because, you know, the custom cleat industry was, you know, wasn't very popular at that point. Not many people knew about it. So I got the idea of, you know, opening up an Instagram page, posting them and um, getting all my friends and teammates to follow it. And, you know, now just a few years later, we have a team of nine artists and um, they're all throughout the country. And, you know, it, it's been an awesome, an awesome experience so far. And we, we've, we've expanded into other sports, you know, athletes and, and people at all different levels, you know, high school, little league, college, professional ranks, NFL, MLB. So it, it's, it's been a lot of fun so far. And sort of, since you mentioned team Israel, I'm curious as to what the culture is, uh, in Israel with kicks because everybody here like almost every athlete you talk to will want to express themselves via clothing in some way whether or not it's kicks but what about in Israel did you get a lot of your teammates there to also be interested in custom cleats yeah so for the world baseball classic um we I think we had 10 followers on our Instagram page at that point and um I made the cleats just like a week or so before the tournament so it wasn't really a legitimate company when I, when I played in the world baseball classic. So I was the only one with custom cleats for the tournament. Um, now with the Olympics and, and obviously the WP, some WBC coming up next year, we've already done, um, and, and the, and the Olympic qualifiers last year, we've, we've done a lot of, um, a lot of custom cleats for guys on the team there. And, um, as far as the country of Israel, um, it seems like there's, um, you know, there's a big sneaker culture there as well. Just going to the malls, they all have the foot lockers and the, and the Nike stores, just like we do over here. That's cool. Yeah. I can imagine everybody in baseball, especially here, um, would like to use a custom cleats. I mean, Mookie Betts, I'm sure wants to create something new every day, Bryce Harper. Um, and I don't know if you saw Trevor Bauer recently rant, um, in, in his rant to the commissioner, he mentioned, stop uh, putting restrictions on cleats. Let us wear what we want. And recently uh, the commissioner opened up some cleat policies. So initially it was very restrictive, but recently uh, players are allowed to have a little more fun 
uh, with their cleats. So what are your thoughts on sort of cleat restrictions and how athletes should be able to express themselves? Yeah, honestly, um, the restrictions now are even more than they were in the past. It's actually more regulated now than ever. Um, in the past, really, the only rules were that it has to be um, fifth, at least 50% of the main color of the team's uniform. So if it was for the Mets, uh, the cleats have to be at least 50% royal blue, which, you know, which is pretty hard to calculate how you're going to, you know, figure yeah. out what percentage <laughs> of a color is on a shoe. You know, you're going to have to break apart the shoe and, you know, do it that way. So it wasn't really organized as far as that. But now, um, you know, now it's all regulated. Obviously, there's more um, – you know, there, there's obviously a ton of restrictions on the designs that players can do, but they're able to have more colors on their shoe. So any player is allowed to have white, gray, or black cleats at any time. And as long as the color is seen on a uniform, even if it's just a dot or a speckle on the uniform, you could have 100% of that color on your cleats. Um, so with the new rules, it's basically just allows for more colors on the cleats, but players aren't you know, are very limited on the designs that they can do and where they can even put their number. They can't, they can't put their nicknames on the shoes. It's just number, name, or initials on the tongue or the heel. So, you know, there's definitely a ton of restrictions on, you know, obviously from, you know, a player and, you know, being in the custom footwear industry, I'm hoping that the rules, um, you know, are loosened a little bit over the next few years. And, you know, I, I think that will happen. Cool. And uh, speaking of some of the fun things you do, I noticed on Twitter uh, you said you're going to buy MLB The Show. So have you bought MLB The Show? Are you playing it? Yeah, actually, um, a kid on Instagram DM me. He has a YouTube channel, um, you know, where he streams uh, playing MLB The Show. So I actually played him and um, lost like 16 to 2 or something. I'm not <laughs> that good at I'm not that good at the game. Um, I play a lot of professional MLB the show player by professional. I mean, streamers who are insanely good. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he was pretty good. Um, I'm not even close to good. So you, you know how that, how that went. Um, right. I wouldn't say I play regularly, but, uh, I'd say once in a while, I like the game. It's a good game. And have you been following, uh, the players league at all? A little bit. I saw an MLB network. They were, they were, um, streaming it, but personally, I, I can't really get into watching other people play video games. That's fair. You know, I just, to me, it's to me, it just seems kind of weird. Um, obviously, I'm not here to judge anyone. Obviously, everyone has their own opinion, but um, I can't really watch other people play video games. I'd rather watch a baseball game from 20 years ago than than watch a video game. That's fair enough. For some of us, we we got to do both to fill in the time. But <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. All right. So our la in our last segment, we'll just do a quick lightning round. So I'll just ask you a few per more personal questions, and you say the first thing that come to your comes to your mind. Yep. So, uh, first off, your favorite baseball player, either past or present. Uh, Billy Wagner. Favorite baseball moment in your career so far at any stage. Uh, pitching against Korea in the first game of the World Baseball Classic and and beating them. A teammate you've learned the most from either in the minors or Team Israel or college? Uh, probably Jason Marquis from Team Israel. The funniest teammate you've ever had? This was the – I've been asked this question before, and it, it's tough to think about because I've had so many different teammates and funny teammates. But um, 
I'd say Braulio Ortiz because his locker was right next to mine in um, in rookie ball. Pretty pretty funny guy. The toughest batter you've ever faced? Eloy Jimenez. Okay. Favorite ballpark you've ever played in? The Tokyo Dome. Actually, either Tokyo Dome or City Field. Both both were pretty cool. Your favorite way of getting an out, a backwards K, a frontwards K, or a one-pitch broken bat out? I think I think backwards K. Pretty satisfying. Although, and, I'll, I'll, although I'll take any of them. And, and uh, do you have a favorite sneaker that you like to work out in, either design-wise or, or, or otherwise? Yeah, for, for working out, I really like the Noble trainers. They're, um, it's like a hybrid shoe, and it, it's really good for lifting and, and running, which is hard to find because for, um, for lifting, you want a flat shoe, and for running, you want more of an arch shoe. So uh, you kind of get the best of both worlds in those. Good to know. And uh, any other activities that you've been enjoying, either now or in general, um, outside of, of baseball? Yeah, I, I started getting into this a couple of years ago, but I really enjoy bike riding. Um, when, um, you know, in the fall when I'm home and it's still nice out, I usually try to go to the, the trails, local trails around here. But obviously, you know, home during this time right now, with a lot of the parks closed. I've been just riding around the neighborhood, but you know, I enjoy it and good way to get some fresh air. Cool. And uh, before we let you go, uh, do you have any final words of wisdom for any aspiring young athletes, anybody who wants to innovate like you are right now, um, anybody who is watching this, who wants to reach success the way you have um, young people who just want advice from somebody who's been there? Yeah. Yeah. Don't, few things. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do anything. Because, you know, if people live, if everyone lived by that, then nothing would happen in this world. And, um, and definitely learn from failure. Nothing, nothing that's successful was always successful. You know, nobody had a straight, straight path to the big leagues. Obviously, some people had an easier path than, other, an easier path than others. Um, and the same with business. You just have to learn from failure and, and make the adjustments as, you know, logically and as um, you know, efficient or quickly as possible. I'll definitely take those to heart myself. Alex, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it was great having you on. Uh, please stay safe. Uh, your family, hope they stay safe as well. Uh, maybe we'll run it on MLB The Show one of these days. Uh, I'm also trying to get better. Um, but yeah, thanks for being here. Awesome. I appreciate you having me and, and stay safe as well. Yep. And good luck the, the rest of the year and when baseball season starts. Hope to see you on a big league field soon. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it.